Amen. Whew, good stuff. All right. If you have your Bibles, and I trust that you do, please, if you will, turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 14. We're going to start, I believe, in verse 19 tonight. So Acts chapter 14 and starting in verse 19. Lord, please bless tonight. Speak. Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the people that we are studying about, no different, believe it or not, than you and I here today, if you belong to Jesus. These people had experienced something that absolutely changed the world. It changed their lives. But whenever you talk about Jesus Christ, this is not just a, a rather an event back in history whereby there was some uh, holy individual or some religious individual that came into this world, taught some good things, and was killed for it. That is not the gospel. That is not the truth of what happened. The truth is, is that God stepped into time. The eternal, the almighty, the creator of all things, the one who is totally other than, greater than any conceivable thing that we can imagine, the one who willed and spoke the universe into existence, the one who came upon this world and he created life and he created you and me and all of the heavenly host and all things that are in existence, whether visible or invisible. He created them all. And God, in his love for you and I, choosing not to let humanity die, just simply die in sins, to simply be devoured by themselves, to see them absolutely ravished by sin, Satan destroying lives at every single turn in any way that he can, refusing for that to happen, but in his love and in his grace, wanting to save mankind, God reached down from heaven and spoke to a woman. And he told this woman, he said, you are going to conceive a child. This child is not going to be any child. You are so favored, you don't understand what's going on. What will be conceived in you will be of the Holy Spirit. He will be called the Son of the Highest. The prophets referred to him as Emmanuel, God with us. And of the increase of his kingdom, there would be no end. He would rule over the throne of David, the throne of this entire world, this entire universe. He would rule over it forever. And God... In that love and grace that we so often preach about, wrapped his son up in flesh, God himself, and he steps into this world and into our time so that we did not have just simply a secondary revelation. And don't get me wrong, the revelation that God gave us was merciful, gracious, and awesome with every revelation that God gave us. We learned more and more about God. Hebrews says that very thing. God, who in times past spake unto us by the prophets, hath in these last days spoke unto us by his Son, the express image of his person. 
that is in him all the fullness of the deity dwelt bodily. And what that means is that each of the prophets as they spoke and at each time that God revealed himself, we saw a little more and a little more. That picture becomes a little more clear of who God is. That he is holy, that he is just, that he is merciful, that he is gracious, that he is love. And that God is good. And then you have Jesus. Whenever he steps here, he looks at you and me and he says, Now, if you want to know what God's really like, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Philip, how can I show you the Father? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And Jesus Christ goes on to teach us about his, his Father, that we might know him, that, that, that he is merciful, that he is gracious, that he is, and I, and, and I tell you, sometimes we miss this, the holiness and the justice of God. The whole reason that Jesus came is not just because God is loving and good. The reason why he came is because sin must be punished. There was no salvation without it. And he sent his son to die for you and me. So if you think about that, that is God's holiness. It is his judgment in display and his justice. This cross, as you see, displayed. And God's son gave his life so that you and I might be forgiven, that we might know God, that we might walk with him, that we evermore, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, might put to death the, the, the flesh and the lust and the desires of it and that we might walk and know God to be his, to literally have God come and live inside of us by his spirit. And after having died and suffered, being resurrected from the dead, they stood there and watched him as he was received into heaven. And I ask you to get this picture in your mind. Maybe you have seen various movies of this, but imagine for just a minute Jesus Christ having done all that his Father has commanded, having shed that blood. It is finished, as he said, and standing before those people, loving them, he looks at him and says, you know, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. He tells them to go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that, that Jesus Christ had commanded them and that he would be with them always. I will be with you. I'm not leaving you orphans. I will be with you. I'm coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And as he's standing there, the earth gives way. And he starts rising up into the heavens until the clouds receiving. And then we, being dumbfounded, staring up into heaven, have to have angels look at you and me, staring up into heaven and looking at us and staring up into heaven and say, people, you don't get it. This same Jesus that is taken up from you today, he's coming again in like manner. He's coming back. And he told them to wait in Jerusalem for what? The promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit that came. And that's everything that we're studying here. But this is what I want you to gather from, from this, I guess you would say, opening to what we're talking about tonight. They were witnesses. They had seen. They had been with Jesus. This was not some secondary religious hopeful 
This was a life-changing, life-entering, experiential event in which they were engaged with the Son of the living God. These were not things that people today look back and say, man, I wish I could have witnessed it. They stood there. They saw him. Therefore, their message that they were preaching, therefore, in their hearts, they are going all over the world proclaiming what? The death of Jesus Christ and for in the resurrection. Wait a minute. Got to get back there and get that right. The death of Jesus Christ as an atonement, a sacrifice, but the resurrection of the dead of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins in him. And that there is no other way. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so here he is. You know, you got the apostles, they're standing there. And they have this burn into their memory, so they go from place to place to place proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming him raised from the dead, resurrected, and that in him there is forgiveness, there is life that we can be restored to fellowship with God, that we can have, as Jesus said, not only abundant, but eternal life. So, They go through all the world teaching this. And many times they're seeing the power of God in display. People, I mean, I have to believe this in my mind and in my heart. We see miracles today and we're like, whoa, you know, these things taking place. The apostles expected them. They expected them not in the sense that they demanded God to do something, but they knew Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They were there when he did the miracles and he sent them out and they expected as they proclaimed the gospel that God by his Holy Spirit would confirm his word and move in the hearts of people and the souls would be saved. They knew it. It was the expectation. And so they go through the known world and they're preaching and teaching like we're here. We got Paul and Barnabas that are going around and preaching and teaching, and and they're doing this not out of the obligation of saying, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to be sharing my faith. They're doing this because they know that if they don't do it, people are going to hell. They're doing this because there is no other hope, there is no other life, and they want everybody to hear it. Now I want you to get this. Where we left off, God bless the reading of his word. But where we left off, you remember Paul and Barnabas were there, a miracle had taken place, and then they automatically assumed, wait a minute, the gods have come down among us. Well, they were wrong in one sense, because there is but one God. But they were right in another sense, because God had come down, it just wasn't Paul and Barnabas. His name was Jesus. And what they were witnessing is his promise They were witnessing the Spirit moving in the hearts and lives of people. They were witnessing the Spirit of God convicting people of sins and people coming to Jesus Christ to believe in Him and to trust the gospel, the good news. But then they say, well, you're Zeus and you're Hermes and and we're going to worship you. And they look at them and say, no, you're not. You get off the ground. Don't you dare bow down to us. We're just human beings. And they still want them. Well, finally, they get the people calmed down. And I want you to see another aspect of their commitment to the gospel. So if you will, in verse 19, this is going to be 14, 19. God bless. Please, Father, help us. In Jesus' name, the reading of your word. Forgive me of my sin. It says, Then the Jews from Antioch, 
and Iconium. Came there and having finally persuaded the multitudes, they decided they had enough of Paul. They were going to stone him. Please catch these words. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, let, let me paint this for you a little differently. Everybody knows what stoning is, right? They throw stones at you and they keep shattering bones and smacking you in the head and abusing your body until you die. It's not a good way to go. It is not a quick way to go. I mean, if I had to be stoned, I'd say, somebody pick up the biggest stone you got and hit me in the head. Let's just go ahead and start this off right. Because I don't want to just sit there and get pelted with this stuff. But no, they stone Paul. Now, people say, well, why didn't they stone Barnabas? Well, I don't know about you, but Paul seems to be the most vocal. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was wrong. Some of you didn't get that. Probably Paul was in everybody's face at this time. They're like, okay, if we're going to stone somebody, we're stoning you. But anyway, so they take Paul, they stone him, and literally are dragging his body out of the city. Why? Because he's dead. That's what they believe. There's no life in Paul. They can't find it. He's not dead yet, but they have stoned him to the point that they think he's dead. And they drag him out of the city and they leave him there. Now, honest question. I'm not trying to be funny. Honest question. If you have preached the gospel and people have tried to kill you to the point that they pelted you with stones until your body, they thought you were dead. When you get up from that, normally in my heart, I would say, Lord, I have done my work for today. I have been holy. I've done those things that you wish for me to do. I'm going to exit this way, and we're just not going to go back into the city, right? Let's take a look at what happens. Verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around, and they're probably praying for him. Some people have said maybe Paul was resurrected from the dead, but the Bible doesn't say that, okay? But anyway, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went where? Into the city. He goes back into the city. This is not the only time that Paul's been hurt or has been beaten. And as a matter of fact, sometimes whenever he goes back into the city, he lets them have it. He looks at him. He says, I mean, you sons of Satan. I mean, that's what he does. He points his finger and just lets them have it. But what does he do? He goes back into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. What's happening here? You see a commitment and a devotion to Christ that his life is not what matters. Jesus matters. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And his life was in Jesus. This message, this witness, everything that they have been through, he cannot but teach and to share what Jesus Christ has done. So let's keep going. Let's see what, what ends up happening. It says, and when they had, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples, take a look at the converts, people coming to Christ, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, okay? Strengthening as they go, they're strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, listen to the words, we through many tribulations enter into the kingdom of God. Paul, think about this, through many tribulations, yes, we might be abused, we might be beaten, we might be stoned. Uh, goodness gracious, somebody might say something horrible about us. 
People might be critical. But you see, that isn't a deterrent. The Bible says that many times they rejoiced and praised God and worshipped him because they were accounted, you ready for this? Worthy to suffer for Christ. Worthy to suffer for Christ. All right. So let's see what happens. Verse 23, it says, So when they appointed elders in every church, they've got people as they're going and ministering, they've got people that they're setting up to help keep the churches functioning and doing the things that Christ commanded. Okay? And it says, And they prayed and fasting, they prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they prayed over them, God, we entrust them to you. And after they had passed through, um, let's see, Pisidia, and they came to Pamphylia, it says, and when they had preached the word of Perga, they went down to Italia. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been. Now, you're thinking about a missionary journey here, so they're just giving the different places that, that they went. Where they had been commended, uh, commended to the grace of God for the work which they have completed. So you've got a missionary journey where they're making that full circle. Now, when they had come and gathered the church together... They reported, so they're telling the church all that God had done with them and uh, that he had opened the door of faith, catch the words again, to the Gentiles, okay? So it's just showing the fulfillment of the prophecy that not only Jewish people, but now Gentiles, one family coming together here. So anyway, they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now, 15, chapter 15, big pivotal chapter. What I've tried and probably said poorly in introducing this, this subject that we're talking about tonight, talking about the, the supremacy and the importance of Christ, the centrality of Jesus Christ, all of these things, something is going to be introduced. And what's being introduced is not by bad people. These people were believers, and people will say immediately, well, if they, they believed in the law and they were trying to, to serve Christ in the law, then they weren't saved. Hold it, hold it, hold it back up for a minute. Please understand, these people are coming to Christ. They don't understand completely. This has been a long discussion within the church, and you're going to see whenever they get back to Jerusalem, they didn't say, wait a minute, what kind of crazy folks are these saying all this stuff? No, they actually had a discussion about this. And under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the teaching of the Spirit and the conviction of his heart, they come to the conclusion that no, it's not by the law and nor do we have to follow, quote unquote, the law. But nobody is saved. The Bible says through observance of the law, salvation has always been by faith. And that's the testimony of the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, it's testimony of Paul concerning Abraham by faith. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness for the law was even given. Okay. So what you've got is you've got these Jews that are believers, but you have to understand that their entire life they have believed, you know, that the, the, the law which God gave them, this was, as Paul said, this tutor, this, this it gave uh, the rules for approaching God and how we were supposed to live. And much of it was a moral law. And whenever you talk about a moral law, the moral law doesn't change. I mean, think about this. To say that we're not under the law, does that mean that we can go out and commit adultery now? Jesus said, absolutely not. That's one of the big ten. 
being people of like nature as God, that does not change. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this, we may not be under the law, but we're not without law. It says we're under the law uh, that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, as his spirit now leads within us, and the Holy Spirit is not going to lead us into sin. But, interesting here. So you have these people that are coming in and they're saying this, well, we still need to obey the law of Moses. I mean, Jesus, yes, Jesus is a fulfillment of all things, and we believe in Jesus Christ, but we still have to obey the law of Moses. We still have to do all these things in order to be right with God, to be saved and to be the Christian people that God wants us to be. Well, Paul has a problem with that. Paul has a major problem. As a matter of fact, Paul is, is jumping on this with, with both feet. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. He says it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Now also understand, Paul in the Revelations and also writing most of the New Testament, Paul has a little bit of insider knowledge here. And what God has called him to do, because he also said that he would be going to the Gentiles. That's what he would be doing. Peter also has great insight into this because going to Cornelius first, he had all the visions, rise, Peter, kill, and eat, and all these things. So there's a different perspective here. So, but let's see how this unfolds, and let's see what the Jerusalem church says. Not my word there. So it says in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, And certain men came down from Judea, so they're coming to where Paul is. And they taught the brethren. Notice the brethren, Christian brethren. They said, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. People say, well, all they said was circumcision there. That's all they're talking about. Real quick, just if you will in your Bibles, you don't, you don't have to put it on the screen. But if you look in verse 5, I want you to hear something. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed... That is, they, were, they believed in Christ, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So I'm not embellishing here. But going back up there, okay, to, to verse 2 now. So this is what they were teaching. It says in verse 2, it says, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. Okay, did you catch those words? No small dissension and dispute with them. That means they were at each other. Paul isn't pulling any punches. They weren't just sitting there going, well, I just, I don't know if that's true. No, Paul's looking at him just like he did Peter, and he's got his finger pointing. He says, this is hogwash. That's a lie. So they're actually going at it. No small debate here. It was a loud thing that's going on here. So anyway, dispute with him, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about the question. So in other words, we need to settle this once for all. This is going, you know, I, I was sharing with you several chapters over, especially when Cornelius is coming up, is that this is going to be an issue for the church. As a matter of fact, let's look at what Acts says. Whenever the Gentiles start coming in, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. They are in shock. They're still in this mindset, okay, it's, it's, it's about us. Well, no, in Abraham's seed, all the earth will be blessed. The Bible talks about Christ being a light to the Gentiles. In him, they will hope. So now they're saying, look, this is getting ridiculous. We need to settle this once and for all. Let's take it to Jerusalem. 
Let's go ahead and talk to the elders and the apostles that are there. So verse 3, it says, So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria. Uh, and while they're going, they're describing to the people the conversion of the Gentiles, which caused great joy among all the brethren, hearing that Christ has come to the Gentiles. Four. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. Now notice, here's where that verse that we just read came up. So some of the Pharisees, and and please don't always get a bad taste in your mouth when you say Pharisee. These are actual believers, okay? They're not just crooked, wicked. These are people that genuinely love God, many of them, and they're trying their best to love and to serve him. So they're standing up, and what are they being zealous for? The same thing that Paul was zealous for, but these people have come to believe in Christ. But they haven't understood how Christ has fulfilled all of this, obeying the law perfectly. What we could not do, he did. The Bible says, and what we could not do through the weakness of our flesh, this is going to be Romans chapter 8, What we could not do because our flesh was weak and we are sinful, God did by sending his son who lived perfectly, fulfilled the law, and he condemned sin in his flesh and fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. Okay. So what happens when they get to Jerusalem, it says in verse 5, it says, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, some of you already know whenever we talk about Timothy and some of the others, how Paul at one point actually has has person circumcised. Uh, And then in another sentence, Paul would say, if you're circumcised, Christ avails you nothing because you're trying. And what Paul was talking to is not these people, but the people that believe that salvation came through obedience to the law. And he was saying, if you try to save yourself by your own works, he says, it doesn't work. You'll never be good enough. So, uh, but people say, well, why did Paul at one point have somebody circumcised? Paul even explained it. He said, to witness to these Jews so that they might hear the gospel, he said he had circumcision performed so that the people would actually listen to what they have to say. It was not a salvific event. It was so that they could actually get in and witness in the first place. All things to all people that I might by all means win some. Okay? So they said, you got to do this. So verse 6. Now the apostles and the elders came together to consider this matter. And when they had been, now listen to this, and when there had been much dispute, are you catching this again? It's not a quick and easy answer. They're trying to work this out. So it says, when there had been much dispute, Peter raises up. Okay, He stands up. Peter being, you know, that pillar within the church, the one that went to Cornelius. And you're talking about the Jew of Jews here. So here comes Peter. Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by the mouth of the Gentiles, oh, by the, excuse me, by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, that's talking about Cornelius, so God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, acknowledged the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And people, this is kind of like that, 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 that final straw. 
I mean, it's one thing to say God has accepted the Gentiles. It's another thing to say at the preaching of the gospel, the same Holy Spirit that we received was given to them. Same signs, same wonders, same miracles, same everything. God received them. So it isn't just your stamp of approval. God has put his stamp of approval on it. Y'all, it's after 7 o'clock. Why didn't somebody tell me that? Keep going. We got choir practice. <laughs> okay, so hold on. Let me do something. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So verse 8, it says, So God, who knows the hearts, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us, and made no distinction between them and us, purifying their hearts by faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ. Now, therefore, we, it says, now, therefore, why do you, okay, test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? In other words, this isn't just the law. Everybody wants to say, well, it's, it's the law. No, it's what the law had become. God's law is not burdensome people. They even, even said this. The law was intended to be a blessing. Paul said that the law is good. It is what it became in their hearts and lives that made it impossible. The law was meant to bring us to our knees, to show us our need to repent before God, before Christ came, to repent, to acknowledge our sins, to look to God in faith. In Christ Jesus, it showed us that we could not do it of ourselves. It showed that we were insufficient of ourselves, that we could not save ourselves, and therefore it was meant to bring us to our knees before the cross of Christ. That's what it's for. That does not mean that the law is a bad thing. The law revealed to us our sin until the time of Christ whenever Jesus could deal with that sin, and then we could live in the newness of the life that comes through him. But what had the law become? The law had become works righteousness. If I do A, B, C, and D, then I'm righteous in God's eyes and then I'm holy. Well, then how do we keep that law? How do we make that law binding on people? Well, you've got to make sure you do A, B, C, and D. And the next thing you know, Jesus would say to them, you make the law too burdensome for anybody to bear. You heap up these laws on people and he said, you not with your little pinky will help people to bear these laws. You know that you're making it impossible for them. And what they're saying here is that we couldn't bear it. Our fathers couldn't bear it. We couldn't do it. Why do you want to put that same burden on the people? As a matter of fact, why would you make an affront to God whenever he is offered the final sacrifice, which atones for all sin? Amen? All right, got to stop there. So what we'll do is we'll end on verse 10 there, and we'll start, we'll start on verse 10 again whenever we come back in here. Tonight, would anybody like any special prayer? Special prayer right here? All right, then we'll invite our team to the front. Anyone else, special prayer? We'll open up the altars. You can pray, but we will pray for you guys. And as a matter of fact, we'll uh, sing just for a moment and then we'll pray.
some of our deacons come forward. Anybody else who would like to pray once they come down here, please, please come. We're going to be praying for Miss Gail and also for her hubby, for their family. She's been going a lot through a lot of stuff physically, as many of you, you know, and uh, her heart, yes, she wants God to touch her. She wants God's healing in her life, but she is at the place also where she recognizes that God has a purpose and a plan for everything, and whatever that plan may be, God glorify yourself through this situation. So we're going to pray and believe for her. And uh, so anybody else who wants to pray, you're welcome to come forward at this time. All right. According to the word of the living God, you said if there's any sick among us, call for the elders of the church and to anoint them with oil and to pray that prayer of faith. God, you said that if we would anoint them and pray in faith, that you would hear our prayers, that you would heal the sick, and God, that you'd even forgive us if we've committed any sins. And I see in you, my sister, your faith to believe for God. And so as, as you pray, may it be done to you. I anoint you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, your blessing upon her in Jesus' name. Now, Father, right now, we lay our hands upon her, her faith, looking to you. Jesus Christ, please. As you see in your infinite wisdom and grace our lives and what is best, Father, we ask you to help her. We pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done in our lives. Above our own, Father, we pray for your will to be done in her life. But, Father, you also said to let our prayers and supplications to be made known to you. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to touch my sister, and I ask you to heal her. I ask you to lift her up and give her grace in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through his cross, through his blood, through his death, and through his resurrection. We proclaim your victory. Heal her and keep her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody. Love you. Thank you for being here. Choir practice is getting ready to get started. And uh, there will only be about three or four hours tonight, so it shouldn't be too long. The Lord bless you and keep you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.